Christ. Let us draw near to God our Father with a true heart to confess our sins and ask Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against You in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved You with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. That we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. May the Father of all mercies cleanse us from our sins and restore us in his image to the praise and glory of his name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Blessed is the Lord, for he has heard the voice of our prayer. Therefore shall our hearts dance for joy, and in our song we will praise our God. Responsive reading from Psalm 146, found as the middle sheet in your bulletin. Blessed are those whose help is in God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, and he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Our second hymn this morning is 157, Hark, the Herald Angels Sing, Hymn 157.
Our first reading this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading today comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 12. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Chris. You'd stand with me as we read the, the gospel reading from Luke 1. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. In order for us to anticipate the coming of Christ, we have to have expectations. In order for us to anticipate the coming of Christ correctly, we need to know what we're anticipating. We need to know what the coming of Christ actually brings. This week I was thinking about some passages to speak on and I was reminded of Armistice Day. Armistice Day was a celebration that we recognized last month. And it was a recognition of the end of World War I and now subsequently the end of uh, worldwide conflicts in general. And it made me think of this passage in Revelation 12. The book of Revelation is a depiction of a vision of hidden wisdom. And it's given to the Apostle John while he's on the island of Patmos in exile. And in this vision, there are explanations of things in the past, things in John's present, and things in John's future. And... A lot of these visions are scary, they're mysterious, they seem magical almost. They mention dragons and kingdoms and judgment, war in heaven between angels and demons and God and this mysterious leader, Satan. And you might be wondering, what does a vision of a past war and this future judgment or future conflict has to do with Christmas and Advent. Well, in Revelation chapter 12, the war is depicted, the war that's shown, the one that's described, still rages on. You see, the future in John's mind is actually our present. See, in the text, he's speaking or he's being told about something that will happen in the future. And for us, it could even be our past because we have hindsight. You see, there was once a theocracy. A theocracy is a fancy word that means that God ruled. Theos and Kratia, God ruled. A theocracy is where the ultimate power of a government or of a kingdom is God. It's not a king. It's not, it's not a particular person. An example of this is when the Israelites were taken out of Egypt. They were rescued, and God led them. He gave them laws that he administered, and he acted out justice when there was injustice. You might be familiar with democracy. Demoscratia, people ruled, 
where people rule and make laws and vote in order for things to come into power, things to come into practice. But you see, a theocracy existed not only when the Jews were rescued from Egypt, but it happened, there was a theocracy in heaven before this battle in Revelation 12. But we see that war began. War began when one angel known as Satan led a rebellion of angels against God. Now, Satan has an interesting name because it is given in the Bible as his proper name, but it means deceiver, both in Hebrew and Greek, Satanus and Satan. And he's not just a deceiver, but he's one who slanders against. So he speaks against someone else. He plots against someone else and deceives them in the process, if that makes sense. And that is a key essential point to Christmas. And I'll explain. So when this war began, it challenged God's theocracy and God banished not only Satan, but the angels that he deceived. You see, he promised them something or they wouldn't have followed him. They wouldn't have believed Satan unless he had offered them a kingdom that was better than God's. You see, he deceived them and convinced them that following him was better than remaining in heaven. I know that sounds kind of silly, but that's how he works. So when Satan in verse 9 of chapter 12 was thrown down to the earth, you see he continued his practice and that he led the world astray because we know that he led the angels astray, which caused him to be thrown out of heaven. And you see, it's on earth. Now that the earth has been led astray, it's on earth where he rages his war against God, not directly against God, but through God's creation, through man and woman, including you and me. Do you sense a battle taking place in the world? When you watch television, you see famine and plague and war. You look at politics and you don't see organization. You see disunity. You see division. You see slander. Do you see a battle taking place in the world? What about within you? Do you sense a pull, a tug? Maybe it's when you give money, right? When you're clicking the mouse, you think, oh, maybe I should transfer this to my pension. Or maybe when you want to forgive someone that's wronged you and in the back of your mind said, I should hit this person for saying that. There's a battle, you see. The struggle between two minds, Jesus and Paul both refer to this as being double-minded. That there's two sides of, of us that are pulling, that are at war. And I believe that that war is a reflection of the war that's taking place between God and the deceiver. Then, after this vision of the past, the past vision of Satan being removed from heaven, the vision jumps to the future in verse 10. Salvation has come. 
And the authority of this salvation is a kingdom. It's a new form of government, and the king is Christ. Now, the problem with Satan is that not only does he deceive and he gets people to follow him, but then once they follow him, he turns on them. And then he accuses them before God. Ultimate deception. Look at verse 10. It says, Satan accuses those he has led astray. You see, he's an ultimate villain. Regular villains go against the protagonist because they think that they can win. And they ultimately lose. But you see, Satan's an ultimate villain because he knows he can't win. But he's building an army not because he thinks he can beat God, because he wants God to judge his army. He wants to gather as many people to fight against God because he likes to see people die. You see the difference. He's not just rebellious, but he's deceptive to the point of accusation because he wants to bring down as many people as possible. In other words, Satan stands in front of God and accuses you. He accuses me. And the problem is, is because he often deceives us in the world, the, accusation, the accusations are true. What accusations could Satan bring before God on your behalf? Maybe it's something that you did this week. Maybe it's a mindset that you have. Maybe it's a secret that you've never told anybody, something that's happened to you, something that you've done. What is it against you that Satan has? He's got something on all of us. <laughs> Lord knows he has it on me. But verse 11 says something miraculous. It says something as miraculous as a woman who has never had sex having a baby. Verse 11 says, those who were accused those who have been accused by someone who knows what they've done. It says they overcame the accusations by the blood of the Lamb. Christmas. Christmas is the ultimate plan to redeem the kingdom of the world and to defeat the evil instigator who turned on it and who turned it from God. Do you see that the importance of Christ, the, the importance of Christ being born is essential to everything in our past, even things that we didn't know about that were revealed in a vision to John. And notice that God's attack, God's weapon against the devil and evil is sacrifice. God could instantly kill Satan and destroy evil if he wanted to. He's God and he is the right. But look at what he's done. You see, the devil deceives people and then uses them for his purposes and then accuses them when they're guilty for going against God. 
He sacrifices other people for his own pleasure, if you will. But notice what God does with Christ. He sacrifices himself, you see, for the sake of his enemies, to destroy evil in the process. You see, the accusations fell on Jesus, and when he died and rose from the grave, he defeated death. He took the power away from Satan and says that that power now relies or rests on you as believers in him. That the accusations no longer stand. You've overcome those accusations, not because you're not guilty, not because you've been proven innocent, but because God has declared you innocent. And me as well. Notice this. Again, verse 11. Those who were saved, they trusted in the gospel. They trusted in Christ, though it meant their lives. How could that be? How can we look at Christmas and see the gifts and the fun and the, and the commercials and all the things that make Christmas feel like Christmas and say, you know, that's special, that's, that's nice, but I wouldn't die for those things. What causes a person in this modern world, this logical, free-thinking world to say, it's worth my life to follow Christ? You see these people in this story and Christians all throughout time, it meant something. It meant something incredibly important to the point that they were willing to give their lives. And why is that? Why would someone give their life for the gospel or for the message of Christ or to not deny him and risk putting themselves in danger? It's because Jesus put himself in danger, you see. Christmas is about God denying his rights on purpose to become humble, to sacrifice, to destroy evil. And in a world filled with slander and accusation against you and against me, Jesus did everything possible to make sure that we could trust him by giving his life. Listen to this. In verse 12, it says, Therefore, because this is true, because this happened, because this is the backstory, because the origin story explains the necessity of what we celebrate when we light these candles and sing these songs, he says, Rejoice! Those who are associated with the kingdom of heaven through Jesus. correctly understanding Christmas. The text says that at the end, the time of Satan is short. And he ultimately will be destroyed in that final battle that ultimately plays out what has been taking place already through Christ. And it says that those who he's corrupted, those who he deceived as he did in the past, he is going to turn on them and he's going to cause them to perish in the final judgment against Satan. And you might be thinking, 
Because I often think this when I hear what I just said. I think, how dare you? How dare you ruin my special Christmas time? We're supposed to be talking about lights and fun and sleigh rides and Santa Claus. How dare you talk about judgment? How dare you mention Jesus as the only way to God? It's inappropriate. It's not the time for that. And sometimes I believe that. But today I say, how dare you? How dare you corrupt something that has been believed for 2,000 years and now has only been changed into that? How dare I think about those particular things that are self-seeking in the same way that Satan is deceiving others to serve his purposes? I use a holiday that separates or that celebrates the humble savior of the world from my own greed. How dare us? And maybe that deception, maybe that deception in the war that I'm speaking of and the text of Revelation I'm speaking of is not just a cosmic battle with assault rifles and grenades and bombs, but maybe it's the subtle deception of blindness. Blindness and pride that says, you know what, this is a nice story, but that's all it is. I don't need it. I'm happy with Happy Christmas. Friends, we are all susceptible to the deception of Satan and evil in the world. After all, he came to this world as a prisoner and has in turn taken it captive. You and I are subject to his deception, to his deceit. Maybe he's blinding us. Maybe he's giving us a sense of pride that denies the meaning of Christmas in Christ. There's an ongoing battle between good and evil. Which side is ICV on? Which side are you on? Not morally, not with your code of conduct, not with your sense of goodness, but based on the declaration of God that used this infant baby to become king of the world. If you're without Christ on Christmas, You're without God. As we celebrate Christmas, as we sing, as we say our statements of belief, the Apostles' Creed, which is just as old as Jesus almost, let us remember the purpose of Christmas. And not just the present tense, but remember what caused it and where God is leading us. That So we too, like John in this revelation, can see the past, we can see the present, but also we can hope for the future and know the grace of Christ. That God loves us, that God has died for us, and everything has been prepared for you and I in order to experience a theocracy in heaven again.
Let's take a few moments after the sermon for silence and reflection and prayer. One that is confident enough to confess as we just did. Maybe of something more. Maybe something that you've held on to. And at this very same time, in the sadness of our confession, have the eternal hope that there is salvation for you at the ready. There's blessing for you at the ready. There's love for you already. Apply what Christ has done, which started at Christmas time. Let's take a few moments and then we'll stand for the Apostles' Creed. Would you stand with me, please? The Apostles' Creed. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always.
As you take your seats, uh, there's a couple announcements. One is there's no Bible study on Wednesday. People are busy this time of year, and we will pick up in the new year. Also, there's going to be a sign-up sheet in the tea and coffee room. I suppose I should say first that we're having tea and coffee after this service, and you're more than welcome to come. It's just a time to talk and eat cake and drink warm drinks. You're more than welcome to come. If you're a guest, you can just follow us. It's out here to the left and through the double doors to the left again, if you can remember that. Also, there's a concert. Um, there's, there's a post for it here on this column to the left as you leave. Um, it'd be a time for, uh, for worship and, and, and beautiful singing. We're having a Christmas service. Um, that may new, be new to most of you, but um, Asta's going to lead our music, and it'll be more music-heavy, a little lighter sermon. And uh, actually no sermon, just a little bit of a, a reflection and a celebration of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did I miss anything? I didn't miss anything. At this time, we're going to be um, taking our offering. Um, as always, we support uh, a ministry called the Hope Center. We donate clothes, we give money. Um, and also, this offering helps support the, the maintenance and the function of this service. So if you'd like to give, please consider doing that. We'll take that now. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of yourself. We thank you that you don't try to deceive us. 
and that you don't accuse us, but instead you lead us to grace, lead us to yourself, lead us back to God, and you honor us. You tell God things about us that aren't true. You tell him that we're righteous because of you. That's not based on us cleaning ourselves and becoming like God, but God becoming like us. Thank you. And we pray that we would grow over the next 10 days in expectation and understanding of what that is. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, we pray for Vilnius. We pray for Lithuania. And we pray that we would be light in the midst of a war, in the midst of a dark war that has blinded and deceived the world, and perhaps us along the way. Pray that we would have the power to see past lies and to see the truth, and that we would live out lives that reflect love and compassion and mercy and grace and hope. Things that you say that you brought us through your Son. Lord, in your mercy, you are prayer. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our final hymn today is Angels We Have Heard on High, 162. Hymn 162.
benediction. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and thankfulness with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.